The John Morris Show, episode 139. The John Morris Show. Your life on code. Ladies and gentlemen, John Morris. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This episode, I'm going to be talking a little Snapchat. I don't know if you've heard what's going on with Snapchat, but they're changing their name. They're releasing new, actually releasing a hardware product which is kind of interesting, a little product that we saw there. But they got a whole lot of stuff going on. And I think it's, again, one of those things that when I look at the news and just kind of keeping abreast of what's going on, it stands out to me. I think there's some lessons in there for us as web developers. So I'm going to draw those out a little bit as well. And then I'm going to get into addressing some of your comments and questions. Again, uh, one from YouTube and one from email on the docket for today. But before I get into all of that, I want to talk, uh, you know, I like to to talk a little bit about some of the stuff they sent out in my newsletter. Uh, I don't always get a ch- chance to talk about everything on the podcast, but when something strikes a chord over there, I like to talk about it over here uh, with you guys as well. Now, again, you've probably heard me say this before, but if you're not on my newsletter, I suggest heading over to johnmorrisonline.com. It's right at the top there. You can sign up, get access to a free PHP course, and you'll also get, I send out daily tips, uh, email tips, and really everything that I do, that's kind of the hub for it, where you can get all the notifications and so f- so forth. So highly recommend doing that if you don't want to miss anything. But I sent out this email the other day, and the subject line for it was I'd have made more at Taco Bell. And this comes from a response to an email I sent. So I got this response from Brian. And and this is what Brian said. He said, if you need more ammo for the CS degrees are worthless subject, I can't speak much for other people's experiences. But as someone who actually has a BS degree in computer science, emphasis on BS, I can tell you that the degree has been worse than worthless. And the educational quality of your videos is at least as good as most of the instruction I got in college. Since I got my degree in 2008, I have now had three different periods of long-term unemployment. One of them was because of a health issue, so the degree didn't play a role there. But at its peak, my student debt was about $55,000. Even with the degree, I have yet to find a programming job. And the jobs I did, did find still paid me less than what an old friend of mine was making managing a Taco Bell. So not only would I be making more if I had never left fast food, which is infuriating by itself, I've I've been rewarded with a giant pile of student debt. If I had the health for it, I would have already left tech in favor of moving in the direction of some sort of semi-skilled blue-collar type of work. Which, as a side note here, by the way, I get emails like this from people all the time, that, that last sentence, where... It's usually kind of the unsubscribe emails that I get uh, or messages I get from my newsletter because, you know, when you run a newsletter, people unsubscribe and they can leave a message about why. I get a decent number of people who are frustrated and leave tech altogether. They they tell me, you know, I'm unsubscribing because I'm just I'm getting out of this line of work. And I've actually considered doing an episode on on those. I've been kind of collecting them because it's a it's a real reality and I think it's an unnecessary one. I think if I really believe, I strongly believe if you follow the way that I tell you to approach it, that that doesn't have to be your reality. But you know, there's a lot of people that end up doing that. So this isn't a rare thing. 
He goes on to say, maybe I'm just a terrible programmer, but considering that I know one CS grad who is working at a call center for $10 an hour and another who is moving to Southeast Asia so he can continue to earn a living with his programming skills, I have to suspect that there is something else going on. And so he wraps up there and I just, I want to point out here again, I know I've been kind of going on about this particular topic for a while there, but it, uh, I, again, these are the emails I'm getting. These are the comments. This is, these are the videos on YouTube and on the podcast and stuff I'm getting comments on. This is what people kind of want to talk about. And I also think, you know, there's new people to the show. And for some people, this idea of I have to get a degree is just so ingrained in their head that I really want to keep hammering this home. But the lesson that the lesson out of all of this is really what Brian gets to the heart of in his message, and that is to assess value for cost. What am I getting and what is it going to cost me? And as I mentioned in the original podcast that started all of this, which by the way, if you haven't done the 10-episode challenge yet, that's another reason to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes because you would have been caught up on that and know what I'm talking about. But the, that was the original point of that first podcast is that for web developers, I think it's a tough sell to say that what you're paying is worth the cost or is what you're getting is worth the cost. Now that, again, understand what I'm saying there. I'm not saying you're not getting anything. Uh, you are getting something. Now that's what a lot of the people have, have brought up in the comments. It just completely misses the point. They're, 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 they're saying, well, it's not like you're, you know, you're not getting nothing for your, for degree. I learned this and I learned this and I learned this. And that was never my point that you didn't learn something, but it was, you're learning something for what, 55 grand, 70 grand, maybe even some people at certain schools, maybe out of state tuition, you might be pushing a hundred grand in student loan debt for what? It would, uh, it, it would get real hard to rationalize a hundred grand with all the other options that are available out there. So I, I just, you need, I'm not saying don't get a CS degree. I'm not saying that you're not going to learn anything. I'm not saying there's not any value in it. I'm saying if you want to be a web developer, I think there are better options than spending 30, 50, 100 grand to get a degree that isn't actually going to teach you web development. And more than anything, I just don't want you to get caught in the I have to get a degree to get a good job mentality that so many of us buy hook, line, and sinker. There are much smarter ways to get the education that you need. One of those ways, by the way, happens to be Udemy. And you've probably heard me talk about Udemy before. There's just tons and tons of courses over there that are available. I mean, even if you're paying full prices for these courses, you know, a course might cost 200 bucks for a, you know, a, a PH, full PHP course. Might say it costs 200 bucks. That's still way less than you're going to pay for a class at most colleges. And you're actually going to learn how to program. But it even makes m even more sense when they run their specials. And a lot of times they'll, they'll have these courses available for... 19, 15, 20, sometimes they even do $10 sales over there. And you can get these, what are normally $200 courses, what, what would be a, like a thousand or $2,000 course at a college for 10, 15, 20 bucks. 
so it's just a complete no-brainer. Now, they happen to have just started one back up today where it's a $19 sale. So if you go to johnmorrisonline.com slash September, you can get access to that coupon code and that will give you $19 uh, give you $19 on all their courses ac- across their site. And you can get as many courses as you want. So it's not just like 19 for one. You could go find the four or five you need and pay 19 bucks a piece. And pay, say you get five courses, pay less than 100 bucks for really a full, well-rounded education in web development. Probably everything that you would get at a college uh, in a CS degree program for far, far less. So Again, that's one of the many options that are available out there. And you can do that now for a limited time, johnmorrisonline.com slash September. All right, coming up, I'm going to get into Snapchat, which it's no longer called that, their new hardware product and the lessons that we can learn as developers from that. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. You know, it's kind of funny. Every time someone uh, joins my email list, I ask them a very specific question. I ask them, what would you say if I could, if I told you I could teach you how to master PHP in the next few months? And I get a lot of interesting answers. Now I get a lot of people who, you know, they say, sign me up. Where do I start? Let's do this, right? I get people who are a little more skeptical who say, um, it would depend on the details, you know, if it costs, what it costs, et cetera. And then I get people probably on the most skeptical end who are like, well, what does it exactly take to master PHP? And all these are really great questions. Now, let me ask you this, since you're here listening. What if I told you that you could get started learning everything that you need to know to master PHP, all the foundational skills that are necessary to move you out of maybe that job that you're working right now that you don't really like and just get yourself into an IT career. Oftentimes, people do it making more than they were making before. But even if you could just make the same and start doing it in an IT career as opposed to like I used to do, which was wearing my little chicken costume walling around in Greece all day cooking chicken, imagine if you could learn what you needed to learn, get the foundational skills you needed to start that process all for just seven bucks. What would your answer be? I hope your answer would be a resounding yes, because I know I'm going to go all keep off my grass old man on you, but I remember what it was like when I was coming up and the option to get all of that training in one place simply didn't even exist at that time, unless you wanted to read through a 500-page PHP manual, which I didn't want to do. But today, not only is that option available, but it's only going to cost you 7 bucks to get started. So if you're someone who's serious about learning PHP, about making a career in the IT industry, about getting out of whatever you're doing now that you might hate, and getting into the tech industry, you don't have to be a PHP coder forever. That's the thing. You can, If you want to get into all the fancy new stuff, Node and Python, and well, Python's not new, but Django and all this other stuff, all these frameworks and everything that's out there, that's fine. But one of the fastest ways to get out of where you're at now and into a an IT career is through PHP because it's simply the most popular server-side backend language that you're going to find. The job opportunities are huge 
And there's companies that out there that are just starving for PHP developers. Clients out there starving for people who can create PHP applications. So again, if you're someone who's serious about making that happen, then I want to encourage you to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash php. You can start taking module one of my PHP course for just seven bucks. So today, skip the latte from Starbucks, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash php, and let's get started with your PHP career. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. We'll talk a little bit about Snapchat and some of the moves that it's making and get into this as a really good example of some different ways of thinking, thinking differently about your web development career than you may be currently thinking right now. So if you haven't heard, the company that used to be called Snapchat kind of shocked everybody last night uh, when they revealed that they were a changing their name from Snapchat to Snap Inc. and then unveiling its first like real hardware product called Spectacles. And so Spectacles are the sunglasses that allow you to be able to record video in 10 second increments. And the company said they'd be available for sale sometime soon. And they're really, they're, they're, they're glasses that kind of connect to your phone, ultimately connect to your phone. They'll, they'll save those snippets as calling them snap, Snapchat memories, and then will allow you to then have them on your phone and post them where you want and so forth. And they're marketing them as they have this 115 degree lens that's meant to more, uh, closely approximate how humans see. Uh, again, you can record up to 30 seconds, but in 10 second increments, you can then um, either move that to your phone via Bluetooth if you have an Apple phone or or via Wi-Fi if you have an Android. Um, and again, allow you to then post these, uh, assumedly on Snapchat or wherever you prefer. And so that's the whole idea. Now, if you, <laughs> if you haven't seen these things, it's worth... Uh, it's worth taking a look and and googling what they look like. I, these aren't the kind of things that you're probably going to wear around everywhere you go. So it's it's a really it's a really weird product. I'll just say that. Now I I don't I hate to jump on though this thing's going to be terrible bandwagon because I really never know to be honest with you the things that people want or will buy. And that's Actually, some of the point that I want to make today is all the funny, weird stuff that people will buy that you would absolutely never think of, like these glasses. I think of, it's it's just crazy to me what the app, the phone app market has become. Because when it first started, it was you, you, you basically what you paid was to buy the app. Almost most apps now, I mean, that's not every app. But a lot of apps now have gone away from that model and gone into the in-app purchase model. And so now the way they make money is you buying certain upgrades or different things inside of the app. And Clash of Clans, which is a pretty popular game, it's gems. And those gems will then allow you to exchange them for gold or different uh, resources or defenses and so forth that help you 
play this game ultimately. And they're not. I mean, they're not really that cheap, especially as you grow. If you've played the game, as you grow your kind of kingdom, the upgrading the buildings and all, all sorts of things later on in the game cost a lot. And so if you're, you might pay a hundred bucks in order to just upgrade one building, if you were to just go buy the gems for it, right? So it's, it's, the stuff isn't cheap yet. There's people who do it. Candy Crush is another example. Candy Crush, you get extra lives, you get extra moves, you get color bombs and lollipop hammers and all sorts of things. And in 2014, players spent over $1.3 billion on those in-app purchases. So the, the Candy Crush, the company behind Candy Crush, made $1.3 million in in-app purchases on something that it's extra moves for a game. It's lollipop. Like the weirdest stuff that you could ever think of, they made $1.4 billion or $1.3 billion on. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, this is really the point that I'm getting at. I want you to imagine for a second, if you were to go back and you were to say, go back 10 years and you were to come running into your boss's office and you'd say, I've got this great idea. (laughs) And your boss looks at you and goes, okay, what's your idea? Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to make these apps for phones, but we're going to give them away. And the way that we're going to make money is we're going to sell these lollipop hammers that allow you to I don't even know what lollipop hammers do to be honest with you, but they're going to allow you to break extra blocks in uh can't this game. And when we do that, people are just going to eat it up and buy it buy these things and we're going to make billions off of it. I know if I were that boss 10 years ago, I I would not be able to contain myself. Get out of my office. Matter of fact, go down to HR, see if we can schedule a psych evaluation and and have you looked at. I mean, no, I don't think anybody saw this coming or, or could have, if you had described this to people 10 years ago, there's no way that they would have been able to to kind of see this as being something that anybody would do. And so it's just a really, really powerful lesson in we have we have no idea where things are headed. Right? As a matter of fact, there's several insights that I draw from this, and this is really what I'm gonna to get to. The first one is what I said. We have no idea of where the world is is headed. We have no idea what consumers are going to be willing to buy. Ultimately, as web developers, we have no idea where our industry is ultimately going. Ten years ago, I doubt anybody would have predicted that a game like Candy Crush was going to make $1.3 million in a year selling lollipop hammers. Yet you have so many people, and look, I do this a little bit myself, but I always try to give you the reasons why and make sure and tell you that I... (laughs) This is all under the guise that I ultimately have no clue. But there are so many people that are certain of where things are headed. 
that this language is going to die or this app is going to, I mean, we hear this every year. There's a, there's always this kind of like slew of this is what's going to, this is going to be the thing that takes over this year. And this is what the future likes. So you have these know-it-alls out there. that will be like, this is what every, this, you know, new thing that has come out is what everybody's going to go to. And year after year, some of that happens, some of it doesn't, stuff that nobody ever even thought of happens. We ultimately have no clue where things are headed, yet we still have to be prepared. And this is why I talk to you guys all the time about you have to keep your head above water, you have to keep it out of the sand, and, and really this is one of the reasons why I keep talking about this college degree stuff, because so many people just have their head buried in their sand, get a college degree got a college degree, get good job, live happy. It's like this robot that just repeats the same thing over and over again. When you look around and you see, well, what's the evidence for any of that? You know, it, what are you looking at to tell you that? And oftentimes they're hard pressed to give you that. So you have to keep your head above water. You have to keep looking at what's going on and you have to be really, really good at adapting to things, to seeing things coming before they're happening. Now, how do you get good at that? By doing it, right? By just starting, starting to pay attention, starting to get ideas of where you think things are headed and finding out if you're right or not. And when you're not, figuring out why you weren't. And when you are, figuring out why you were. What, what were the things that led you to be right? What were the things that led you to be wrong? And more, more, more importantly than anything else, just continue to look at it and analyze and not, well, I think what kills people is buying hook, line, and sinker into these know-it-alls and these people out there that tell you, this is absolutely 100% what you need to do, or this is absolutely 100% what's going to happen. It's buying, it, that, that sense of certainty is alluring, but it's also illusionary. Right? So you can't, you can't buy hook, line, and sinker into that stuff. The other lesson that I kind of take from this that kind of follows on from that is that when you do see something that you believe is going to happen or you think is going to go a certain way, you have to pursue it relentlessly. I like to imagine the the guy or the girl who, you know, the first time someone came up with the idea for an in-app purchase, right? The, the person that came into the room and goes, you know what, guys, this is what we should do. And then gave their lollipop hammer and color bomb spiel and dealt with everybody laughing at them and went back to their office going, you know, depressed and, and <laughs> down about what had just happened. Yet continued to fight, continued to push, continued to believe and say, look, this is the way things are going. I know you all laughed at me. I know that this, you know, uh, we don't think this is the way things are going to go, but I really do believe it and continued to push for that. Whether it was some, you know, somebody in the mailroom or it was the CEO of the company, whoever it was, I can imagine that the first time that this idea came up, that idea probably got laughed at. But somebody continued to, somewhere continued to push it. And now it's, it's really kind of taken over the industry. And chances are the person who originally came up with that idea has uh, 
or at least within the companies that it, it uh, that ha- it came up for and it happened, I imagine those people have been ultimately rewarded handsomely. Maybe not necessarily in money, but now they're trusted more. Now those those people have probably maybe moved up in the company, etc. Those people have likely benefited from when they saw something and they believed in it to pursue it relentlessly. So if you're out there, this is the great thing about developers right now. We are on the edge. We are at the forefront of everything that's happening in this world. All of it is technology-based. And in particular, a lot of it comes down to software, which is what we do. Again, we're on all sorts of different types of software. But we are at the forefront of making this happen. What that means is if you have an idea that you believe in, there's a really good chance that you can make it happen. You just have to believe in it and pursue it relentlessly. The final thing that stands out to me from this is more of a, uh, I would say, practical uh, insight. And that is the power of niches. Because I think of each app really kind of as its own niche. If you if you look at Candy Crush, that repre- it's a game, which is a niche, but it's a particular type of game. And it has its uh, competitors that the game is... The, I, ultimately, what you do in the game is the same kind of thing, the same sort of idea. I've played different ones and so forth. And so that, that group of games and, and apps is really a niche in and of itself. Now, again... If you were to go back 10 years and you were, and I were to tell you, hey, there's going to be this you know, billion-dollar industry that forms around this game on this phone where you slide little pieces of candy to create three in a row. And <laughs> I, I tried to describe this to you 10 years ago that there was going to be this industry. It would sound insane. You, you might be like, okay, somebody might play that game, but that's not going to be a billion-dollar industry. I mean, it's silly to think that, but yet here we are. And so again, a lot of times when you hear someone describe a niche, it's going to sound silly from the outside until you dig into it and you actually get into it and understand the motivations behind the people that are involved in it. Then it starts to make a little more sense. And so it's important not to underestimate how well this works. Candy Crush as a game works because it's a very specific type of game. It's not a game that's trying to be all sorts of different things. It's a game that does one very specific thing and people love playing it. You look at what's going on with social media. I mean, more and more, I, I talked about this, I've been talking about this for probably a couple of years now. And when I first started talking about this, I had people who they fought me tooth and nail on it, told me I was an idiot, etc. It's undeniable at this point that we're we're moving away from the big box social network, the all-in-one social network that does everything to very niche apps. And you have Facebook Messenger, uh you have Facebook which is really most of what Facebook the actual app itself is is the timeline or the news feed. So Facebook is really the news feed uh, for the most part. You have Messenger, you have groups. If you're in the business side, you have apps, you have pages. 
Like, all the parts of Facebook, for the most part, are pieced out into individual apps. Uh, Google, with what it's doing with, now it's rolling out uh, its Allo apps, which is a messaging app, and then it's rolling out Duo, which is a video messaging app. It still has Google+, Plus, it still has all of its different products are individual apps. They're all niche apps. And the reason Facebook, for example, the reason Facebook did Messenger the way it did is because WhatsApp was eating its lunch. Because WhatsApp was focused on one very specific niche and being a really good messaging app. And it was eating Facebook's lunch in terms of messaging. That's why you're seeing Google getting into Allo. That's why this is happening because when you focus on one very specific thing, you can be really, really good at it. You get good at marketing it. You get good at delivering on it. And you really get to get in and hone in on all the little nuances and so forth that people want and ultimately will allow you to monetize it. So don't underestimate the power of being niche. Now, a lot of people, when I say that, say, well, what do you mean? It's about being specific. It's, it's the difference between the web developer who wants to get hired for a company and just do all of their web, develop, web design development stuff versus the web developer who markets a particular service. I'm a membership site builder and gets hired by clients not to do all their stuff, but to do this one thing, to build a membership site. That's the difference between something that's generalized and something that's specific. It's the difference between a handyman and a plumber. A handyman can do plumbing, but he or she does a whole bunch of other stuff. A plumber only does plumbing. And for the most part, people trust specialists over generalists. And you generally will get paid more, particularly in web design development. I can attest to that fact. By being a specialist versus a generalist. So don't underestimate the power of being niche, of picking a niche, finding a service that you can provide that serves that particular niche and going all in on it. Again, 10 years ago, if somebody had advised you to go all in on a, a game where you move little ca- virtual candies around, you probably would have laughed at them. But here we are, 1.3 billion later, uh, and and it's clear. So those are some of the insights when I was, you know, again, looking at what Snapchat's doing. You know, they're really trying to, the fact, I mean, who's, we'll see how these glasses sell, but <laughs> who knows? It's a good, there's a good chance people are going to, going to, going to buy them up. So uh, it, it's them really going all in on the niche kind of service that they provide. And there's generally, usually, if you can execute it properly, there's good, uh, that's a good path to go. All right, I'm going to take a break. When I get back, I'm going to get into answering some of your questions. I got kind of two longer ones, so I wanted to save a little bit more time for those today. We'll get into those after the break. You're listening to John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. You know, One of the big mistakes that I see a lot of developers make is they make learning how to code much harder than it has to be. 
For example, I see a lot of developers who think the list of skills that they need to learn to master PHP is pages and pages and pages long. It's not. Now, I've said this before, and I will definitely say it again, but there's a foundational set of skills that you need to learn in order to be functional as a PHP developer, meaning that you can execute on projects and get paid. This is the fallacy that is so prevalent in the PHP developer community, that there's this ideal set of skills that you have to learn and that you have to be the absolute greatest developer in the history of mankind in order to be able to get paid to code. You don't. You simply need to be able to execute on projects. I talk about end results all the time. You need to be able to deliver end results to clients because that's ultimately what they want. But when you focus on these found foundational skills and learning only those first, the things that will allow you to execute on projects, what you realize is that you can start getting paid to code much faster than you probably ever thought because you haven't set this idealistic, unattainable bar for yourself to reach before you allow yourself to take paid work. You can start now when you can execute on a deliverable, when you can complete a, a single project, when you can create a contact form or a business website. When you can execute on that, you can start. And you could start then building the life that you wanted that you got into this all for the, in the first place. Instead of continuing to slave away at some job making somebody else rich. Anyway, you can learn these skills in my free course, The Beginner's Guide to PHP, which you can enroll in at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. And it's going to teach you these foundational skills so you can get started right now. Again, it's a completely free course that you can take at johnmorrisonline.com slash learnphp. Don't wait on this. Head over there right now and get started building that life. Welcome back to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, I'm going to get into answering or addressing some of your comments and questions. So this first one comes from Paul over on YouTube. And surprise, surprise, this is in response to my CS Degrees Are Worthless video, which was a clip of the podcast that I had done uh, a few back. Uh, I'd put a clip of that up on YouTube. And he responded to that, and I wanted to address some of what he said here. So this is a long comment. But I think it's important to go through because I know that there's a lot of people that that tend to fall into this. And there's probably some of you listening now who have these doubts in the back of your head. And I want to go through and address them. And then you can decide for yourself if you think you you know what I'm saying has merit for you. So Paul says, I'm sorry, but this is horrible, capital horrible advice to put online. You strongly criticize someone on your opinions and sold call facts, but your entire video other than debt figures is a is complete opinion. Okay, so let I'm going to stop there. First thing, you know, this is this is why I recommend being on the full podcast because if you listen to the full podcast, I actually had four different sets of data that I went through. Um, the the YouTube clip that I went through, I actually did have. I think I included two of those. I did add some of my opinion and some of the anecdotal stuff 
that I have uh, that I'm aware of from P- CS to graduates that I know. I added that in there as well, but mo- pretty much every argument I made was based off of a data set. So uh, to say it's complete opinion and that I only included one set of data is not really true. Um, uh, that was actually my critique is that people that <laughs> to tell you that you have to get a CS degree don't base it off any sort of data. And we'll actually get into Paul. Paul does that here again. Um, and and we'll, we'll address that. So continues on. I personally went to college right after high school. So now we're getting into an anecdotal, anecdotal story. So this isn't a data set. This is just an anecdote. Anecdotes are fine for the most part, but they all, they also don't represent, they really don't mean anything in terms of um, statistics or, you know, kind of uh, having some sort of factual data-backed uh, foundation to what you're saying. So ultimately, anecdotes are, they're the reason behind your opinion. They're the personal experiences that have helped you to form your opinion. So really, this is, he, he bashes me for uh, using opinion, but then goes right into it. So this person I went to college right after high school and dropped out three years later. I went on to management and then marketing. Fortunately, my job did not require a degree. Hmm, interesting, making my point for me. But that is because I worked my way up into the position. What do you think I'm advising people? I I mean, that's my point, is that you can do that. That a lot of these companies that say they want people to have degrees don't actually. You can get hired there and then work your way up. And most of the time, you're going to have to do that whether you have a degree or not. So he continues on. Now I'm looking for other marketing jobs and I can't find one because every other every position requires a bachelor's or more. So again, this is, I feel like this is making my point again, right? Because what, I've, what I said was in, in the video that I made that, oh, I would question if, those jobs actually require a bachelor's degree. My question would be, have you actually applied for those jobs? Because a lot of a lot of companies will put that requirement on there, but if you apply without one, they'll still interview you, and if you do well, they'll still hire you. So yes, technically it requires a bachelor's degree, but in reality, it, it often doesn't. So I would question, have you actually applied for those jobs? Do they actually require one? Or is that just listed on there and you don't even apply because you don't have one? Okay, so uh, it's important to to do that. The other thing is, is that I often talk about getting into entry-level jobs. And my whole point was assessing value for cost. So if you're in a IT position and you're making, say, 50000 a year and you want to apply for a position that's going to give you a raise of you know, maybe it's a senior position, you're going to get up to 70 or 80 a year. But in order to have get that, you have to have a bachelor's degree. And you could go back to school, maybe a local community college and get, let's say you're going to pay $30,000 for that education. Well, at that point, that changes the value for cost equation. So it might make sense to go get your bachelor's degree at that point, even if you're not going to learn anything from it, you're going to spend, you're going to invest the 30,000 to get back 20 to 30,000 a year going forward. That to me is a sound investment, but that's 
rarely is that the investment or the 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 deal you're being made if you come right out of high school and go right into to college you're investing and you may never get hired or it may not mean anything for what you end up doing especially for web developers so again i, I this it's either missing the point or in some ways i feel like it's making my point for me but I'll continue on. I know this isn't CS, but it relates. It actually doesn't. It, it, industry to industry is very, very different. So it's important to note that you can't take what someone experiences in one industry and apply it to another. Because that was, again, one of the things I said specifically on that podcast is that every industry is different. So you can't, it doesn't relate. Now he says, I go on to Indeed slash Career Builder every day. I would say that at least half of the positions do not post the requirements on the page ad, right? They have links that take you off-site to their portal in which it gives a more detailed listing. listing. So I don't know where this comes from, but this is one of the things that I want to really address because this goes right, this is actually an argument that goes right to the data set that I use from Indeed.com. The thing about Indeed.com is it's an aggregator. It's like Google. So Google doesn't Google doesn't index web pages based off what the site owner tells them that that particular site is about. It aggregates them based off of going to the site and using their their robots, their bots, to actually go through the content of the site and it determines for itself what the content, what that particular page happens to be about. Indeed works a lot of the same way. They aggregate information from other sites. Yes, you can post job postings on there as well, but a lot of the data that they get is aggre- actually aggregated from other sites. So they're not, they're, they're, they're going off of the actual listing that was posted on the site, the original site, the one that he's saying you would click through to into their portal, they're actually grabbing the information from the portal page itself, from the detailed listing. So when you do the searches, what you're ultimately searching is those portal pages. Again, you have some stuff that you can post directly on there, but a lot of their stuff is from aggregated sites. So I... I, Again, doing the analysis we did in the original podcast, I, if you were if what you were saying were true, then you might have a point, but it's just not true because they actually index the the detailed posting and get it from there. So when you don't include bachelor's degree on there or in the search, the jobs that come up are likely ones that don't actually require a bachelor's degree. By the way, when I did that. And I talked about this in the longer podcast. He only saw the YouTube version. But I actually clicked through on a number of the ones that came up in that search because I wanted to check that. And I actually went to the portal page for the full listing. And they didn't have any requirement for a bachelor's degree listed on their page posting on their site. So, uh, again, I I think this is just simply not true. So he continues on, uh, he, so he goes, so now I am, he goes, I happen to look at all the programming jobs I come across. So now I'm back in college to complete my degree, to be in the field I are, I am already in. 
The fact is, and he capitalizes fact, many capitalized employers require degrees. This is what I have the biggest problem with. This is the whole point of what I was talking about really in the second segment about people who just believe something and they, they're just, this is a classic case of a know-it-all, right? The fact is, like he's saying that he knows what the fact is, even though he hasn't provided, provided there's not one data set provided in this entire comment. But the fact is, many employers required, require degrees. Now, again, you'll notice that he uses the ambiguous term many, not most, because most could be assessed. Most would be greater than 50%. He says many. Well, what's many? Is that 10%? Is it 90%? He also doesn't give a specific figure like 70% or 80%. I actually went on a site and tried to show you explicitly what job, how many jobs do and how many jobs don't. And we landed roughly in everything about 50%. So about half do and about half don't. Is that many? Okay, it could be to you. If if that's considered many to you, then okay, then that's fact. But doesn't even doesn't even talk about that here. But yet the fact is many employers require degrees. These are the people that you should not listen to. They're not giving you any data. They're not giving you anything to back up what they're saying. They're just capitalizing certain words to, to I guess, make their point stronger. He continues on, also, by the way, there are good ways of telling if companies are good and better than another. That was the most ignorant statement I have ever heard. Have you not heard of the Fortune 500 slash 100? Do a Google search and you will see compiled lists of good companies to work for and the criteria in which creates this makeup. That's fine, but what's the objective one that we're all going to agree to as our definition of good? I, is the Fortune 500 slash 100 that list? For me, that probably wouldn't be the list. So... Again, we all have a, are going to have a different definition. I understand that you can go and find it, but what's the agreed upon one that we all are going to operate off of? Because in order to do an analysis, that's what we have to do. And we can't do that unless we all agree on one. And the reality is we're all never going to agree on one. So it's a pointless, that's why I said it's a pointless term. It was the ignorant statement. So. It's not that you can't find a good companies. You can't have criteria and determine what you think is a good company. I'm saying for doing an analysis and actually trying to look at data and base our arguments off that, you would have to have one that's agreed upon. Otherwise, all anybody's going to do when you say, well, I use the Fortune 500, they're going to say, well, I, I don't, that's not my criteria for what's a good company. And then you're right back to square one. So I ditched that condition altogether so we could just analyze it from an objective basis. All right, so that was the comment. Uh, you can decide for yourself where you think he's right, I'm right, whatever, and, uh, and go from there. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, devoid of, devoid of any actual data provided in his comment, I, I don't know what his opinions are based upon. I think it's really just an emotional reaction. Someone who 
has been told all their lives that a degree is really important to get and just believes it and really doesn't know why. All right, the next one was from William V. Email. He says, hey, John, thanks for the emails. I've been playing around with PHP for a while and have completed a Udemy course, PHP for Beginners by Edwin Diaz. At the end of it, we had pretty much developed a WordPress dashboard with users, etc., security, and all the rest of it. My assessment of the course was that it was a pretty good foundation covering all the usual stuff and a little more. But at the end of it, I felt frustrated at not knowing where to go next. I understand that learning code does take a lot more than one course. It requires a lot of effort. So can you give me some advice on what to do now? I covered all the stuff in your 101 course. I'd like to get to a stage where I had enough skill to actually do something of my own rather than copy and tweak someone else's code. And really to that, you've answered your own question. Right, that last bit is really uh, what you're after, because you could go through a hundred courses. If when you're all done with those hundred courses, you're not at a point where you can create stuff on your own, and you still have to copy and paste other people's code, then you're really not there yet. And so, you have to work on that. Now, what's the answer for you getting better at it? It might be going back through the course that you went through. It might be another course. It might be joining an open source project, or it might be taking freelance clients and kind of throwing yourself into the fire. Uh, it could be any number of things, and you kind of have to assess that for yourself, but you you have to get to the point where you can write stuff on your own. Now, that doesn't mean that you never look at somebody else's code. That doesn't mean that you don't get ideas from what other people are doing, etc. But you do need to be able to code it, code something without completely and copy and pasting it from someone else and then just tweaking their code. Okay, so that that is the next step. Beyond that, just to kind of give you the <laughs> the step after that one is there is there definitely is this moment when you can code stuff and you you have this moment where you're like, okay, so now what? Now what do I do with this? I can code stuff on my own. I built this and I built this and I built this, but I don't know what I I don't know what to build. And this is where you'll start to understand why with where I'm at in my career, I talk a lot more about the business side of things. Because the answers often aren't going to come from the code, so to speak. It's going to come from the business side. Meaning, you know, Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook and a lot of people, you know, a lot of coders, you know, see that as, see him as inspiration for what he was able to do as a web developer. Well, it wasn't the code that told him to write that, right? It was the business side of things. There were business reasons, like this thing kind of thing didn't exist or it did it, and it wasn't the way that he thought it should exist. And he started all of the features that he built weren't based off of the code. They were based off of his experience in college and what he thought a network like this should do and be, et cetera. It was all the, it was all the social business side of things. And I've already kind of given you the answer to this question of what should I build once I know how to code. And it goes back to the niche stuff that we talked about earlier. And there's always a fine line. There's always a fine line with choosing what niche to go into and what stuff to build between 
what you like to do and what other people will pay you for. And so I always advise three steps or three things that you look at. One, what do you enjoy doing? There's no point in getting into all of this if you're just going to do something you absolutely hate to do on a daily basis. So look for niches that you enjoy working in, stuff you enjoy building. And that's often going to change and fluctuate over time. And you have to be willing to adjust what you do in your services along with that. So I built membership sites. Now, that was one of the things that I did. So that's a very specific niche, and I enjoyed doing that. So find niches that you enjoy. The second thing is, what are you good at? So find stuff that you enjoy and that you're good at so that you can deliver easily and you can be operating within your strengths instead of always constantly being outside of your comfort zone. It's good to get outside of your comfort zone at times, but to be constantly outside of it can become overwhelming. So look at what are you good at. And then the last one is, what will people pay you for? What is a marketable skill? So it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything if you're building stuff that people enjoy or, or that people, uh, that you enjoy and that uh, you're good at if nobody wants you to build it for them. If nobody's going to pay you to build it for them. You're not going to make any money doing that. And so you have, to, you have to find skills that meet all three of these criteria. You enjoy them, you're good at them, and people will pay you for them. When you find that, you kind of find the magic kind of key that will unlock and make clear to you what it is that you need to do next with your career. Once you've learned the coding and you get to now, what do I build? That's how you answer that question. And when you do that, and you might find that, look, it's not building. It's something else. For me, uh, it's teaching. And so I realized as I went through my career, I really enjoyed doing what I'm doing here right now. Talked about this a lot, the last podcast. No, I don't, I don't have my podcast in order to sell courses and make money. I sell courses and make money so I can do my podcast because this is right here. What I'm doing right now is what I enjoy the most, having these conversations with you. And so I've just adapted and, and realized, you know what, that's, that's what I enjoy. And I've found a way to turn that into a career. That's the same thing that you got to do. Find what works for you that's related to the skills that you have. You may find that it's not IT at all. And if that's the case, then so be it. You should really ultimately go after what you enjoy, what you're good at, and what people will pay you for. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there. Hopefully ask, answered those questions for Paul and William sufficiently, or I'll address them anyway. I don't know if Paul will be too happy with me, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, I want to thank everybody else for listening. I appreciate you taking some of your time with me today. If you're not, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash johnmorrisshow in order to do that. We're on uh, Android. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. You can find all those links, again, at johnmorrisonline.com slash johnmorrisshow. Also, if you know somebody who'd benefit from listening to this, I'd appreciate it if you'd share it with them. And if you would like, if you're on SoundCloud or if this ultimately makes it to YouTube, if you would like uh, 
like this for me, I'd appreciate that. Or if you go over to iTunes at uh, johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes and leave me a review, I'd really appreciate that as well. All right, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time.